MSW Media. Hi, this is Harry Lennox from The Blacklist, and you're listening to the five-time keg stand champ of Northeast Philadelphia, Dan Dunn. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. funny Kalai King that was Kalai King who does our theme song he it's beautiful he comes in every week and he does that live I don't know if you people are aware of that but that's what happens um very psyched for today's show I got a a great one we're gonna we're, we're on a subject that I love it's near and dear to me uh I may have mentioned once or a thousand times that I wrote a book called American Wino so I love wine I I'm a big, big fan of wine, and that's what we're going to focus on today on the show is wine. And and with me to talk about that, he's going to come on in just a second, uh, is a, a friend and a, I would say, colleague also, because I, I we, we, we do the same thing, and I also come in and do his show a lot. He is uh, he is on the Adam Carolla Show, might have heard of it, a little bit of a small, it's a smaller podcast, not quite as big as this one, but the Adam Carolla Show, uh, and that's Brian Bishop. And he is going to be on in just a second. But first, I want to tell you, you know, since we're doing wine, I want to go back and give you a little bit of uh, history uh, of wine in America, as I sort of uh, outlined in my book, American Wine. So winemaking in the South is like institutionalized racism. It's definitely there. We just like to pretend it doesn't exist. It's actually bizarre that winemaking isn't one of the first things we think of when we contemplate the southeastern United States, given both the rich historic wine heritage of the region and the preponderance of wineries there. I mean, in Virginia alone, there's more than 250 wineries. Still, though, wine hasn't joined the pantheon of southern cultural exports along with AAA baseball, deep-fried everything, and racial strife. Virginia, the aforementioned Virginia, was home to the first commercial winemaking venture in these United States, which started two years before we were even called the United States. The Virginia Winemaking Company was founded by a 31-year-old whippersnapper you might have heard of, one Thomas Jefferson. He was a sophisticated man with international tastes, and Jefferson enjoyed three things beyond all others, American liberty... French wine, and African women, often one assumes at the same time. Uh, But this is a show about wine, and so I'm not going to get into Sally Hemings, something Jefferson, who fathered six children with her, seemed incapable of doing, or political ideology. We're not going to go there. So anyway, in 1760, a 17-year-old Jefferson matriculated at William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, College kids back then liked to drink just as much as they do today, And over the next few years, T.J. fell in love with two of the most notable venophiles in the colonies, a guy by the name of Francis Fouquet. I choose to pronounce it fuck yeah, Francis fuck yeah. He was the royal royal governor of Virginia. And George Wythe, who was Jefferson's law tutor in law school. Both men had expansive cellars, and they introduced young Thomas to the pleasures of the finest old world wines. I like to imagine Jefferson's aha moment with wine uh, was similar to my own uh, aha experience with wine. I think the parallels between us are eerie. For instance, after his wine awakening, Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence and helped found America. After my awakening, I wrote a bunch of dick jokes and binged watched Veep. It's like we're the same person, except that I have never had sex with a slave. I think we know who has the moral high ground here. So over the next decade, Jefferson's interest in wine intensified, and he built an impressive collection of his own. Then on a fateful day in 1773, one of his wine brokers swung by Monticello with an Italian winemaker named Philip Mazzai. Can you hold on one second? Hey, knock it off. (laughs) 
<laughs> my my dog is in the studio right now and going absolutely crazy on this ball. Leave the ball alone. Thank you. I'm talking about history, Buna. Yeah, she knows. She's chastened now. Anyway, on a fateful day in 1773, one of his wine brokers swung by Marcello with this winemaker, Philip Mazai. Mazai had spent 18 years selling wine in London and come to the New World with the intention of cultivating Old World grapes. Uh, they call that vinifera. Uh, indeed, he was on his way to a parcel of land in Augusta, Georgia that had been promised to him by the Brits. But when he saw the land at Monticello, he immediately recognized it as primo grape growing location. Uh, so he and Jefferson struck up a partnership. Uh, Mazai got some land and the assistance of Jefferson's <clears throat> uncompensated workforce uh, in exchange for planting and maintaining vineyards at Monticello. He was also very taken with the American cause, which was cooking along underground at the time, and he endeared himself to many of the founding fathers. Uh, a year later, in 1774, when the Virginia Wine Company was born, Jefferson, George Washington, and several other prominent colonists were among its first financial backers. But while their ideals may have been unassailable, their timing was for shit. Two years after the Virginia Wine Company was founded, Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, forcing George Washington to spend an inordinate amount of time on the road and making life more than a little dicey for area winemakers. By 1778, the plucky land steel uh, colonists found themselves in dire financial straits. Eventually, it got so bad that they sent Mazai, Mazai their bestest paisano, uh, who'd become quite the American patriot by this time. They sent him back to Italy to rustle up some more money for the war effort for his, from his rich Italian friends. Rather than let the estate lie fallow during this time, Mazai rented the place out to Heinrich Radiesel, who was a Hessian general captured by the Americans and was being held as a prisoner of war. The fact that a POW was allowed to rent out a plush Virginia plantation is just another example of how civilized war was back then. Wait, that's wrong. Sorry, I got confused. War is never civilized. This is an example of the fact that when you're rich, you get to do whatever the fuck you want. So in a development only everyone could have seen coming, it turns out that Mazai airbnb his place to an opposition general was not the best idea. Radiesel, in a truly impressive dick move, pastured his horses in the baby vineyards Mazai had so lovingly cared for over the previous four years. And these horses utterly destroyed the vineyards. Jefferson later wrote that, the, that, quote, the horses in one week destroyed the whole labor of three or four years and thus ended an experiment which, from every appearance, would in a year or two more have established the practicability of that branch of culture in America, which, folks, imports, imparts an important lesson. Always check the no pets box when you're airbnb your place. Anyway, the Virginia Wine Company would never produce a single bottle of wine, setting a new standard of productivity government officials have been trying to live up to ever since. On the plus side, the Americans won the war, paving the way for Jefferson to succeed Ben Franklin as French minister. His friends thought the change in scenery would do him good after the death of his wife, and he ended up staying for five years. During that time in France, he took two major wine expeditions, producing important historical documentation of that period's winemaking customs, along with copious tasting notes. Apparently, I'm not the first person to think of using a wine road trip to mend a broken heart. I would say that Jefferson's a better man than I, if not for the fact that he sent for Sally Hemings three years into his trip. Whew. Thought I was losing my moral high ground there for a sec. Uh, while Jefferson's cultivation efforts failed, he was enormously influential on American taste in wine, pushing towards the drier, lower alcohol wines favored by the French and Italians, as opposed to the syrupy, high-test plonk the British liked to throw back. He was instrumental in establishing European-style wines as a staple at White House dinners, starting with the George Washington administration. And if Mazai had been given a few more years to get Monticello's grapes in shape before they were trampled by Teutonic demon horses, who knows how much faster we might have started catching up with Europe on wine quality. The important thing, of course, is we got there. Case in point, 
what I have in my glass in front of me right now, which is a 2016 Cabernet Sauvignon from Cake Bread Cellars. And I'm going to talk about this wine and Cake Bread Cellars with a man who loves the Napa Valley. He loves the Napa Valley so much that he got his marriage on up there. Who is this person? Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Bishop. Oh, this is going to be so, oh, so disappointing after the, the drum roll. I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm so sorry. It's just me. Brian Bishop, folks, you also know, he's a.k.a. Bald Brian from the Adam Corolla Show. Uh, how are you, man? Thanks really for joining well. us today. Oh, man, it's been a long time uh, in, the, in the making. Uh, I'm glad that you and I could do this. Uh, let's uh, talk some wine. That was educational, man. I knew maybe like two to three percent of that. I knew, you know, Jefferson was big into wine. I knew he grew grapes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I knew about the Paris stuff, but uh, had no idea. It was, it was so he steeped. was sleeping with slaves. I, that I that, that I knew as well. Okay. So maybe I knew four or five percent. Yeah, you know, uh, but, you know more than you're letting on, my friend. That, that's that's that, that's I didn't realize the depth to his uh, his wine. So. You you say you said in your opening monologue there that the um, South is a I can see I can see the the tradition or the or the history I should say but the South isn't known. You're obviously going to educate me on this. I don't I, I'm not aware of the South being known for producing world class wine. No, it, and it, of course it's not. It was more about how it the role it played in the history of wine in America. Ah. Uh, really, the the first place the, the first commercial wine that actually produced wine in America was in Ohio, which is kind of crazy. It's farmland. Um, I can see yeah. that. It's funny because I, I have this, uh, I have this, um, conversation or not, not debate. I, I, I feel like I educate people on this little, little, little factoid a little bit about Napa, which is you think it's like, you know, um, Chardonnay and grapes and cheese and, you know, fine living and hoity toity and, you know, frisee salads and such. It is that, but Napa Valley is full of farmers. Like they're, they're oh. farmers. Like they're up there to grow grapes and cultivate grapes. Absolutely. Now these, there's some good old boys up in Napa. They're, they're not all, you know, the people that go there for like vacation, yes, are a little fancier, but uh, the people who live there and work there that's a pretty working class area speaking of going there i mean you so you got married there i got engaged there i got engaged in carneros okay. and i got married in yountville so uh, carneros so you know is, mm-hmm. a, is an area that actually it actually straddles the napa valley and sonoma it's a cool that. spot and it's in the bot it's at the lower part when you first start hitting wine country in northern california you're going to go through Pasta carneros, carneros. Yeah, yeah, so. it's a great spot uh rolling hills there's not a lot there like in terms of like uh restaurants or wineries it, it's pretty spread out as opposed to say napa or sonoma where, you know where you're going to see winery after winery i've been on highway 29 or silverado trail or something like that but carneros is a little more rustic a little more spread out we got engaged there and we ended up getting married at the uh, vintage uh, estate at uh at uh in Yonville. you know where uh, Curello has his restaurant potato absolutely well and i love how you brought that up and Was didn't it? mention the french laundry <laughs> we, we got married we got married across which, the street from the french laundry which would be probably the most true. famous restaurant in that, that, sure. that that's very true i was only trying to give uh, context to where the yeah. actual site was that we got married thomas keller doesn't need our help from michael Chiarello. <laughs> uh, speaking of food, I, I actually have another uh, food and wine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, a lot of Incan, it's the mecca. It's the mecca it is. For, for at least for the states. You got uh, you have to go. A lot of hot air has been spilled over the act of pairing, right? You know, right. combining food and drink effectively to create a taste mm-hmm. that is greater than the sum of its parts. Okay, right. So I have uh, I have actually got some pairings that I put together just for you. Oh, are they real I pairings can... or are these jokes? No, these are real. Pairings. <laughs> okay, let's yeah. hear it, man. I, I I enjoy pairing wine with food. Yeah, man. This let's is. Uh, you know, um, see, here's the thing. No one ever talks about that. You can add good wine to shitty white trash meals. Oh yeah. To make them not only slide down your gullet more quickly, but to get <laughs> you a little buzz. So you forget about the fact that you're eating craft dinner for the third, third time this week. So this is my attempt to reconcile my past, my present. So bon appetit. Right? Here, here we go. First up, you got a fried bologna sandwich. Okay. With Gloria Ferrer, Carneros, yeah. Chardonnay. The intensely, okay. the intensely unctuous bologna <laughs> calls for a well-rounded wine that strikes a delicate balance between fragility and belligerence. I like that. Don't forget to add mustard. Okay. To okay. The, the wine or to the To food? the wine, of course. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, next up, we have a bucket of KFC original. <laughs> By the way, if you're at home, I can take a minute for it if you need to get a pen and paper no, out. I'll, I'll download this later. Okay. okay good. Yeah, if you yeah. need to write this down. A uh, bucket of KFC original recipe with Geyser Peak Sauvignon Blanc. Now you're going white okay. wine again. All right. Nice. The Colonel's Fried Chicken begs for a wine with bright acidity, herbaceous flavors to temper the spontaneous 
coronary artery dissection you just suffered. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So we got that. Okay. Good Next up, hamburger helper. Okay. Well, you know, with conundrum <laughs> California red. Have you had the conundrum? I have Ca- conundrum. Okay. Hamburger helper with conundrum California red. Why do they call it hamburger helper? That's just when we myself. all know it's the fucking pasta <laughs> that's, that's getting the help, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, it's quite the conundrum. See well put. I, see where yeah, I'm going so with this? This is more, th- right, this yeah, more yeah, thematic yeah. pairing. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> finally, for all of you out there who have uh, are struggling mm. financially but still want to eat and drink, Chef Boyardee Beefaroni with Boone's Strawberry Hill. I thought you were going Charles Shaw on this one, but I can, <laughs> I can get down with that. You know, I, I figure if you're going to surrender... You might as well surrender. Yeah, you might as well go all the way. Just completely surrender. Don't hold so, back. So we got that. I'll be but, honest, I haven't done any of those pairings. You haven't done it no, but, yet. But in all honesty, <laughs> in all honesty, how big of a how big of a uh, a factor is that for you when you're either making a meal or you're going out to a meal? Are you do you put some time and care into kind of choosing a wine uh-huh. that you feel is going to accentuate whatever it is you're eating? Um, I'm, I'm okay. So I'm not diligent about it because I'm not good enough. I don't think I could probably tell you the proper pairing, but I'm aware of it. Like for example, um, my favorite kind of steak is a ribeye, bone in ribeye, a real rich fatty kind of steak. Um, and I can't do like, I cannot do a Pinot. I can't do a Pinot with that. It's too light. You don't it, think it stands up to the steak? No, no exactly. Yeah. I, it's too light. It's too thin. It doesn't feel like, it feels like I'm losing the, this is going to sound so weird, but the best way I can describe it is it feels like I'm losing the taste of the steak when I just sip on the wine. Now, if I'm going to go with like a, a Zinfandel, I love no, like yeah, uh, uh, Northern California Zinfandels. They're peppery. They're big. They're strong. Yeah. They're not overpowering, but they're both. They're, like, they, they got enough body to like let you know they're there. Like it's just enough zing with a little bit of pepper on the on the tongue. I, I'll go for like a, my perfect pairing. I think is like a Zinfandel and a ribeye. Yeah, I mean that's a you know no, you, but something like go calves and like a Syrah, petite Syrah. You know what I mean? You are absolutely right in that if you're going to have something that hearty that. Uh, powerful mm-hmm. as, a, as a, a big juicy steak, it's got to be the wine's got to be able to hold itself. Some people sure. don't want the wine to compete, which I think is odd. I, I like a wine that sort of matches the, the the steak. I guess is a way to put it. But have you? Uh, what, 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 okay, so what would be a wine that you would drink a Pinot Noir? Or what would be? Excuse me. What would be okay, a food so type that you would drink I'm very, a Pinot Noir? With? I'm very particular. I know this makes me a bit of a uh, philistine. Okay. I'm very particular when it comes to Pinot Noir. I don't like Napa Pinots. I don't like Oregon Pinots. They're you too, don't like. I love Oregon Pinots. Okay, I'll, I'll oh. drink them. I'm not going to throw it in your face if you save it to me at a party. But <laughs> I, they're not my favorite. They're too thin. They're too light. You're all, European guy. Uh, no. Uh, well, my 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 um, my favorite Pinots by far Central Coast, Santa Inez, uh, like that Santa Barbara, Santa Maria, Santa Rita Hills. So let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. I I have a Pinot uh, from Santa Maria, uh, Santa Rita Hills. Mm-hmm. And then I have a Domaine Romani Conti from uh, Burgundy. Which one do you want? I, I don't know enough about French wine. I'll, I'll surrender to that and say that I, I don't know. I, I, I can tell you I would probably like the Santa Rita Hills. Okay. I don't know. I'm side by side, I don't know if I could tell you. You don't know. Well, no, I, I could I could tell you once I tried them, but off the top of my head, I, I can't I can't make that distinction. Okay. Sorry. I'm going to tell... I'm gonna, but I've had enough Santa Rita Hills Pinots to know that that's, that's, that's a jam. That's, that's a sweet spot. Okay. I'm going to give you this, and this, mm-hmm. is a, this is a way to sort of... and uh, this I'm being serious now about how to sort of figure out... You know, there are five basic tastes, mm-hmm. right? You've got sweet, sour, salty, bitter, and umami. Savory. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Six if you count shit, which I personally <laughs> had to eat on more than one occasion. Uh, but, uh, okay. So here's... This is an experiment. I'm serious now. This is what you can do. Uh, to show you how uh, that the food can influence the flavor of wine. So get yourself a Cabernet Sauvignon, mm-hmm. like what we have here, yes, cake bread, and we are going to talk about this. This would be an ideal one to try. Get a bottle of cake bread. This one we have here is a 2016. Are you enjoying this wine, by the mm-hmm. way, Brian? Sorry, I swallowed. Yes, I've been to cake bread. I've tasted there. Uh, cake bread is a very good wine. It's like... It's like that winery you have to go to once you've been to Napa a few times and you've gotten the Vistatouis of the world out of the way. Like, I want something a little better. So you got to go to cake bread. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say you get, or you can be any Cabernet Sauvignon. I would recommend a, a decent California cab, uh, like Sequoia Grove, anything, you know, any of those kind of things. Okay. I've been to Sequoia Grove. So you've been there. Okay. Sure, I've been to Napa dozens of times. Okay. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. So then now what you're going to need, you're going to need green apple, lemon, sea salt, 
burrata cheese and sharp cheese. Damn, this is going to blow your mind. I've done this. You have done this. I did this at, uh, I did a, uh, a wine um, food, uh, with this little experiment, educational thing at Duckhorn. Duckhorn okay, uh, Winery so Office. Of and you, so you know, you know how, and, what it, how yeah. really this is. And they'll, they'll set out the little lemon yeah. and the little salt and the little whatever. So those of you at home, again, green apple, lemon, yep. sea salt, burrata cheese and sharp cheese. You don't need to get any shit. Because frankly, it tastes like Boone's Farm. Okay, so uh, and here we go. So what you do? You want to now? We're going to go sweetness first. You're going to take a small sip of the wine, then you're going to take a small bite from a green apple. Okay, and if you sip that wine again, you're going to find it tastes aggressively sour. This is one of the more amazing things I experienced in my life. Is this is a re- this was like it changed the wine. We were drinking the we were drinking like Duckhorn Sauvignon Blanc the whole incredible, time. Incredible, you know? yeah. Changed the wine every time. Sweetness and Cabernet Sauvignon go together like yep. Ike and Tina Turner. Yep. Okay, so uh, now you're going to do sourness. Same thing. Sip the wine. Take a snibble on the lemon wedge, the sour. Right. Then have a little more wine. What's you're going to find incredible is that lemon is going to smooth it out. It's going to give it this velvety texture. Okay, it, it is amazing how just those little little tastes, those yeah. little they're powerful flavors. You know, it's a green apple, it's a lemon, it's a whatever. They will change the taste of the wine in your mouth. Next up is saltiness. Wine, pinch of the sea salt, the wine again. You're going to find that these two play really well together, and it's kind of what Brian was talking about earlier when he's talking about the steak, that saltiness. Mm-hmm. It just plays well. It, it enhances that tannic kick, and it heightens the intensity of the wine, right? So it yeah. really does. And so now we're going bitterness. Pour the wine down your gullet, eat some burrata cheese, more wine down the gullet, uh, and what you're going to find is so that's burrata is like a sweeter cheese. Yep. And, a softer, yeah, softer, yeah. more mild. And yeah. uh, you're going to find like it really gets bitter like fox news almost almost tough to to consume it's really tough to and then finally umami uh if you do the same routine and you have the sharp cheese what you're gonna find you tell me uh as if i recall that soft cheese sort of like makes a little sharpness the sharp cheese kind of makes it Okay, I might be wrong, but I feel like it made it buttery or kind of like a little smoother. It does. It makes it, oh, t- it taste really good. The, oh, the hot, that that acidity in the cheese is really compatible with the wine. Well, it's wine and cheese. It's meant to go together. And as but not the but burrata cheese right, no, does the not work. Yeah, point, it's, yeah. So as Brian said, I mean, I really do recommend you try this sometime because it it's such a powerful lesson on how the di- the, the different elements of the food impact the taste of the wine because a lot of people don't put a lot of thought into it and you can ruin a meal it's, by having the wrong wine absolutely and it's, it's yeah. an easy thing you can go to a five dollar tip to trader joe's is going to get you everything you need get a bottle of wine get another couple have a, have a little wine tasting you'll enjoy yourself because it's wine but it will kind of blow your mind how the wine changes so dramatically after each uh, taste what do you uh what do you, what's your go-to wine if you just you get home you had a long day you want to kick back relax mm. what kind of wine are you gonna what like what what uh what style of wine sure. do you have a particular uh, uh label that yeah, you yeah. like yeah um oh christy and i belong to my wife christy and i belong to one two three f- three or four wine clubs um she actually belonged to before i ever met her she belonged to segazio which is a yeah. zinfandel producer in sonoma exactly and i actually loved segazio so i knew it was a sign to be able to get married <laughs> at that point when i found that out so it sounds like you really like zinfandel that's my number one. Well, okay. it's my go-to. Uh, so Sagazio Zin is a fantastic go-to. Uh, we also belong to a, um, a winery out of Los Olivos. I don't know if you heard of it. It's very small called Barbieri. Barbieri. I have not had it's it. It's very small. I, I don't blame you for not knowing about it. It's very small. It's um, it's one of the few wineries that is uh, owned and operated by um, a master sommelier. Paolo Barbieri is a master psalm. He's one of you know 300 in the world, whatever okay. it is. Yeah. He makes his own wines, mostly Syrahs and Syrah blends, but he makes you know a whole bunch of different wines. And he is a passionate... <laughs> he's a passionate... So passionate that if you go in there, when you go in the wine tasting room in Los Olivos to Barbieri, Paolo's there with his wife, Aaron and their dog, Penny. And Paolo would just talk to you about wine, talked about how the wines, how the grapes are coming. He grows all his, you know, he, and he, that he passion's sourced, amazing. He sources it? some of his, his grapes, obviously, but uh, he grows some grapes and he, he, he's into it, man. It's, he's a trip. He's a first, you know, first generation Italian dude. He's, so Barbieri, so Barbieri, mean, they're, they're doing they're doing a couple hundred cases a year. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Very what small. else do you like to go to? Um, let's see. Yeah, those are my go tos. 
Oh, uh, we always we belong to Chandon, uh, Domaine sure, Chandon, because you got to have champagne. You got to have, have some yeah, champagne have on that. hand. Um, but yeah, my go-tos are probably, and if there's a, uh, we hope to leave us to a couple, two, three times a year. So if we end up going up there, we come back with a case or case and a half of uh, Pinots and Syrahs. But th- that area does GSM so well and Syrah and Pinot that uh, we come back with that and like a, a good Foxen or a good um, Justin. So you know, Foxen's are, on, Foxen's up in the Santa Barbara County, right on it's it's, I believe it's yeah, I believe it's technically Los Olivo. It's a Fox and Canyon Road. Fox and Canyon Road, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. um, and they make great uh, Pinots and Syrahs and it's standard Central Valley stuff. Brian mentioned, by the way, I don't know if anybody knows. Like, so when he mentioned the Master Sommelier, what it is is since 1977, the Court of Master Sommeliers has been the international examining body mm-hmm. of wine stewards and. Uh, uh, to become a master sommelier, you've right. got to pass uh, four examinations. It's a rigorous test. Each one harder than it's. It's like uh, you have to pass a test on cigars. I, I would say, imagine <laughs> passing the LSAT, then making the grade for Mensa, uh. becoming an FBI agent, and finally acing <laughs> Oxford's All Souls Prize <laughs> Fellowship exam, all while drinking. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, all while no, it's for real. Like it's no exaggeration to say that becoming a master sommelier is one of the most uh, difficult human endeavors. That's imaginable. actually probably true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, did you know that Sir Edmund There's Hillary's pro- Sir Edmund Hillary's dream was to become a master sommelier? But when he discovered how hard it was, he's like, "Fuck it." I'm honestly wondering. I'll go climb that mountain. There's, I'm, in the world, I'm wondering if there's been more astronauts or more master psalms. <laughs> I'm gonna guess astronauts. Probably right? astronauts, right? Yeah. The uh, when wow. you did the first one, the level level one, they it's go hard. <laughs> they go and and they and it, you know the, I know I know a few people that are level ones, you know, and right. even that's super impressive. Uh, you go. Uh, you know, it's got multiple choice questions. There's some theory, uh, 70 questions, not seven, 70. Then level two, if you pass the level one, you get the right to go to level two. By the way, these all cost money. Like these are like, oh yeah, know, four it's, or it's a lifetime investment. Oh yeah. And then there's written theory, a blind tasting exam, service exam. It's crazy. Then you go level three. Now, okay. Once you pass level two, you are a certified sommelier so there's a difference if you meet somebody who's a certified sommelier they passed the two yeah any any fancy restaurant you go to will have a certified certified sommelier. sum now it's time to decide you become a certified sum now it's time to decide whether you're ready to take the next step becoming a big enough pompous jerk to compete <laughs> with the other insufferable wine twits for the primo jobs right now you want a primo job um did i say twits by the way i meant whizzes whizzes that's what i heard uh, that's what yeah. i heard yeah so then you should also ask yourself, am I fucking crazy? <laughs> and if the answer is yes, then you do a three-day educational program and then a three-day test after that wow. that's about $900. It's immersive. Okay? And if you're one of the three out of 10 candidates that on average pass that exam, okay, 30% of the people that take it pass that exam, then you have earned the right to move up to level four. This is the Master Sommelier Diploma Examination. People think completing a Rubik's Cube is hard. <laughs> Beating cancer, you've beat cancer. That was hard. Yeah, but this I don't is think harder. I could be a master yeah, no. sommelier. And, uh, to sit for three day, three part master sommelier review, you've got to go to Atlanta, Dallas, or San Francisco on your own with another big check in tow, and then you, uh, and then when you get there, there's a twenty percent, twenty percent, two out of ten people that take that level four exam eventually pass it. I'm not talking yeah. about the first time. Eventually, usually. <laughs> Paolo's the only master some I've ever met. Like, I've not encountered one at a restaurant. Actually, you know what? I take that back. The one at French Laundry may have been a master some. That would make sense. I've met a few. I mean, obviously, what for what yeah. I do, yeah, I've yeah, met well, a few. Yeah, exactly. Uh, by the way, if you, if you really want to learn what this is about, if you're out there... You, Check out that movie, Psalm, the documentary. It? It's it's fantastic. I just it's, looked it up. It's streaming on Hulu and uh, Canopy. Well, Canopy is free with any library cards, so uh, you have no excuse not to watch it. It's pretty wild. They put these guys through the paces. It's it's amazing. It's an incredible movie. So now let's get on to this wine we're drinking, the Cake Bread. So everybody knows Cake Bread is a Napa Valley wine. It's a very famous wine. You've probably had it. Uh, they started making wine about in the early 70s. I think their first release was a, uh, a Chardonnay in 1973. Oh, were they part of the Judgment of Paris? Uh, they were not part okay. of the Judgment Because that would have been yeah. around that time. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't, if they did, they didn't win it. You know, they, yeah, yeah. they weren't one of the ones that were, uh, um, I don't, you so that was 76. So yeah, yeah the, the first, their first Cabernet came out in the 74 Vintage was released in 76, which is when the Judgment of Paris happened, so right. they wouldn't have been a part of it. Okay. Then they, uh, okay. they, 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 they 
bad. They're relatively new on the scene yeah. at that point. And so uh, when it really started blowing up for them was in the 80s, right? Okay. Like that's when ca- that's when cake bread really started to come into their own. And they are known for their Chardonnay and they are known for their Cabernet probably but, more than anything else. So, Brian, what are your what are your thoughts and notes on this particular oh, this 2016 cake bread? This is drinking? an old favorite. Well, first of all, let's back up a step. Napa Valley Cab is just you asked about go-to. It's like if we're out like in the world, like we're out with a dinner with another couple and I'm just looking at the wine list. A lot of times people, people knowing that I love wine, I know a little bit about wine, they're like, oh, Brian, pick out a wine for uh, for, the, for dinner or you know, we're at a restaurant or whatever. And if there's wines I don't really know, obviously I'll, I'll ask for opinions, but my default is like Napa Valley Cab. It's kind of like a fantasy football player. It's like they talk about ceiling and floor. The floor is just so hot. You know what I mean? Like you're not, it's so hard to get a bad Napa Valley Cab. You can't, here's the thing. The real estate's so valuable, mm-hmm. first of all. Yeah. You can't exist if you're making bad wine in Napa. It just can't. And and by the way, you'd have, and, and they have the money, there's so much money there. So they're obviously attracting the biggest, the most yeah, the talented the people. Best, yeah. They're getting, you know, they're getting the most talented people in the industry up there. The European, uh, People that European wineries have sort of invaded Napa now. You oh, know, really? they bought up a lot of land. I and, know that. I mean, it's it's phenomenal, and and I fully agree with Brian. I don't think you can do uh, better than in terms of consistency and quality than Napa Valley Cabernet. It's really hard to get a bad one. Yeah, and just cake bread is you know, and cake breads. Yeah, it's just this, so back to what I was about to say. This is an old favorite. This my I, I when I started drinking, you know, you know that that great. I don't know, maybe for you is younger, but that great uh, era in your life where you're just old enough to drink with your parents, and you're like, oh yeah, and I can enjoy wine. I was my... nine, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so for me, old. it was closer to twenty one. My parents were very open minded, <laughs> but I grew up in the Bay Area, not too far from Napa, and so my parents, being enthusiasts. You know, they would make the trip to Napa once a year or whatever it was. But uh, cake bread was uh, was, a, was a special occasion wine in our house. Not a special occasion like, you know, someone's getting married, but like, hey, it's a, it's a nice family dinner. Let's have a good bottle of wine, cake bread. It's a good go-to. Working on working with Corolla, Adam's, Adam's kind of a wine guy, right? He likes wine. I would emphasize kind of. Kind of. Okay. <laughs> would you say, would you say, who who's more knowledgeable about wine, you or him? There's... There's no fucking competition. Not even close. No. Yeah. He, he does no. make Mangria. Come on. That's true. You know what? He's got that over me. And actually, have you tried Adam's 33 wine? I have not tried that. It's good. One. It's a solid, it's not cake bread, but it's a solid drinking wine. It, it's, it's, uh, it exceeded my expectations, and I've actually served it at a few parties, and it's, uh, it's, it's a solid wine. I have a Chardonnay, and I think a Cabernet. Do you have a uh, do you have a cellar? Do you have wine fridges? What do you where are you keep wine it fridge? Your, you got a wine a fridge. wine fridge that um, it goes through phases where it gets like towards uh so we always go up to Los Olivos um, at the end of the year between Christmas and New Year's we just load up on wine we get so much wine two, you know a couple of cases worth so do you drive up you have to drive up I guess when you do yeah, that right? well no we go for a, a few days we go for for like a week between Christmas so you'll and drive New Year's. up there with the car so mm-hmm. you can bring it all back with you oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. They, they'll ship but you know do wine. you do you do do you do you ever drink wines from the East Coast, like the Finger Lakes or any of that kind of stuff? Or it's it's think... purely California. You already made it clear you don't really like the Oregon Pinot. What about Washington well, State? Yeah, way, we, Washington we actually, State makes some great Zinfandel. You know, you're 100 percent right. Christy and I years ago took a trip, uh, almost like a like a spontaneous kind of not spontaneous, but it was on a whim. It was like. Hey, let's go up to Seattle and check out what's going on up there. We went to the Seattle International Beer Fest, which was a trip. That was a really good time. I was really into beer. I'm on keto now, so I can't do beer. That that hurts. Oh, I know man. that that actually. What are you trying to do? You trying to lose weight, buddy? I I could go. Almost, Dude, you look pretty ripped right now. Thanks, I don't know what you. I don't I know could, what you're doing. I, I could go almost as deep, if not deeper, with beer. I I have a long history with beer. But if you know, as it may, went to the Seattle International Beer Fest and then took a trip up to Woodenville and um, had a lot of great wines and actually fell in love. Do you know it's a small winery? So I don't blame you if you don't know it. We fell in love with a winery called Matthews. Don't know, don't know that. Yeah, Matthews one. is really small, but they make a claret that's fantastic. They make a couple of blends that are fantastic, um, and uh, we actually just ordered a vertical, uh, 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 not tasting, but a vertical uh, case. Uh, they have three, not case, a vertical box of three wines from them: 2014, 2015, 2016 of their claret, and it's 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 just so so good. So no, I'm not uh, dogmatically attached to California wines. I'm more exposed to them, and they're more. I popular. was going to say, t- look into you know the wines from like. Eastern Washington, Walla Walla, mm. Walla Walla, Washington, to me, is one of the 
premier underrated wine regions. Right. I mean, everybody probably knows Charles Smith yeah. is from from Walla Walla, but there there is so many great wines coming out of Walla Walla. Oh, I, let me let me step outside the United States altogether and say that Christy and I took a, a, a three week trip to Italy way about ten years ago, and uh, fell in love with all the Italian wines. The the you know the bigger ones more so the Nebbiolos of the world uh, more so than the Chianti's. Uh, we didn't even plan this, right? Right, right? But it's like you teed it up for me because I was just about to say, really, for those of you who maybe want to, you know, step exactly what Brian just said, step outside, Montepulciano's, and, and do and it. So it just so happened that I recently went to a wine luncheon at Spago. Oh, did you? In Beverly Hills, humble brag. Uh, where they, humble brag. <laughs> they were they were they were serving Fontana Freda, which is a. Famous, famous Barolo oh. producer, one of the most famous Barolo producers in the world, and Barolo is a fantastic uh, uh, wine varietal. And I got a chance to talk to Chiara De Stefanis. De Stefanis. De Stefanis. She is uh, with. She works with Fontana Fre- Fontana Freda, and I asked her specifically because I knew Brian wanted to know. <laughs> can you give the average drinker maybe doesn't know a lot about these style wines? Give us some tips on how to drink, how to experience Barola. Do you want to hear what she had to say? I would love to. Let's let's, let's hear what she has to say. Let's let's check it out. So I'm at uh, Spago in Beverly Hills because, you know, I hang out at Spago all the time. And I am uh, very fortunate right now to be sipping on a 2010 Barolo Reserva from Fontana Freda. Fontana Freda, if you don't know, is one of the great wineries, not in Europe, in the world, okay? Uh, a couple of years ago, wine enthusiasts uh, named it the uh, the European Winery of the Year, okay? This is no joke. And this wine, this Barolo, is amazing. And if you're not a Barolo fan, you should be quickly. And let me have a sip here. Uh, with me right now from Fontana Fredo is Chiara Di Stefanis. Am I saying that right? Yeah. And Kiara's no. gonna I'm not saying it right learn us on some stuff here. Kiara, this is gonna be a rapid fire thing. Kiara's gonna tell us five essential things you should know about Barolo. Are you ready for this, Kiara? Yes. Ready to go. Hi everybody. So okay. So Barolo is uh, related to many but equal to nobody. In the sense that Barolo as well as Barbaresco as well as Gatinara is always produced with Nebbiolo grapes. Um, which is a very uh, typical and indigenous grape from Piedmont, but it's equal to nobody because its strength and power makes it unique. Uh, the Wait, sec- can I ask something quick? Yeah. You're not from Beverly Hills, right? I can tell no. from the accent. Okay, all right, go ahead. No, I'm not. I'm from Piedmont. I've all, I've born and raised in Piedmont, Italy. So uh, the word, the second thing that you should know is that the word Nebbiolo, uh, which is the name of the grape variety, comes from the word Nebbia, that in Italian means fog. And that's because uh, Nebbiolo is always harvested late October when there is fog everywhere in Piedmont, not like here in LA, which is always so sunny. Um, we have smog here in LA. You, have, uh, yeah. you get fog, we get smog. <laughs> okay, okay, that was good. Um, <laughs> Barolo is always express. The third thing that you should know is that Barolo is always expression of its land and um, the vintage where it w- when it was produced. So if you drink a glass of Barolo, it's like you you take a picture of Piedmont, and if you take a like sort of time machine, because if you close your eyes, you can go back to the vintage where it was produced um, last but not least uh, you should remind that no, wait that was the third thing oh yeah yeah we need five five okay. they, they use a different si- it's metric system though yeah. it's four or five in the metric system <laughs> yes I'm sorry um, Brolo and especially Brolo from Fontana Freda uh, is part of the Italian history uh, Brolo is known as the king of wine and the wine of kings because Fontana Freda was founded by the first king of Italy Vittorio Emanuele II who madly fell in love of a woman of humble origin so he awarded her with the title of countess and gifted her with the estate of Fontana Freda and now finally when was that? what was the date on that? what year? 1858, okay. 162 years ago. 
uh, last one, finally last but not least, um, you shouldn't be intimidated by Barolo because it's a Barolo, it's a strength and powerful wine, but it's also very elegant, especially when it's quite old. I mean, like at least 10 years. Uh, its elegance will astonish you if you can drink it. Well, what I find amazing, and uh, first of all, thank you, Chiara, for that five tips. Invaluable. I hope you all wrote that down. Uh, but what I found is just how adaptable the food is, uh, the, the wine is to food, because I got salmon, and they were also serving beef. And I thought, oh, I should have got the beef, because, but you know what? It was fantastic with the salmon. Why is that? That's because of the acidity and the soft tanning of especially an old aged Barolo. Um, it becomes soft and elegant, so it's not aggressive. It doesn't cover the taste and sweetness of the salmon. That's why Barolo can be paired with any kind of food, any. It goes very well with meat, it's undeniable, but uh, if you can find the right wine, it's also good with fish, trust me. Fish and uh, like pasta, like pasta with ragu alla bolognese. Oh gosh, that's amazing. So you heard it here first. Uh, Chiara De Stefanis from Fontana Freda says Barolo is maybe the most versatile wine, one of the most versatile wines in the world. And Fontana Freda is, again, I wouldn't steer you wrong, guys, one of the best wines in the world. And I'm thrilled to be here. And thanks for taking the time to talk to us, Chiara. Thank you to you for listening to me. Hi. <laughs> See you later. Well, That's my favorite part. Thank you for listening to me. Hi. Oh, check, check, check. My yeah, 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 what a delight. It's, funny, way, it's fun to drink with Don't Italians. you want to go to Italy right now? Like, I, just, I really just do. listening to that, I'm like, God, I want to go. So, I loved what she said about you, the vintage is like taking a yeah. picture. It's such a great line. That, yeah, that, she, she knows how to sell it. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to find, is that available retail? or Fontana I... Freda, is it? So it's F O N T A N. Wait, F-O-N-T-A-N-A and then F-R-E-D-D-A, Fontana Freda. Okay. It's, it is, you know, you could argue it's the most famous Barolo producer in the world. Wow. And you'll, you'll be able to find that in any wine shop. The, yeah. be, the, best, the best thing about Italy, a couple of thoughts on our, our trip to Italy because there's a lot of wine. You could walk into any, any little corner shop and just get cheese and a $5 bottle of wine and it's one of the best wines you ever tasted. It's, Their wine is so cheap over there. Am, it's amazing. I, we it's, bought so many $4 bottles of wine that were so goddamn good. It's a, it's such a, I would highly recommend it. I mean, look, uh, I've been incredibly lucky in, in terms of what I do with wine and distilleries. And so I, there's, there are a few places I wouldn't recommend going. I, when I recently, <laughs> I was recently on the Corolla show yep. with Brian and we were talking about Scotland and how much I love going there. But, there is something magical about, and distilleries are great, but there's something about wineries, yeah. about wine, especially because they tend to be in bunches. So whatever region you're in, you you've got a few a, of them. You got a bunch of options, yeah. and it's laid back and it's chill. There are very few vineyards that aren't scenic wonders. You know, you just go you and have the tourist destinations, now. and you just they put out a flight, and you sit there, and you just look out at the vineyards and whatever other amazing scenery is there. You know what and, else is great about vineyards or wineries, I should say, especially in Napa, uh, possibly in other parts of the world, but I've noticed it more in Napa. Winery dogs. Oh, oh, they all have the dogs. They all have dogs. the friendliest <laughs> dogs. There are always dogs ripping around wineries, and uh, it's just a laid back vibe. It's such a and again, as as Brian has talked about earlier, you know, here in the states, of course, we've got California and, and then Oregon and Washington, great spots. But I, you know, again, what I wrote about in Wino, they're all there's wine in every state in the United States, yeah. and there are places that blew me away, Arizona. Texas, Missouri Georgia, has a burgeoning. Virginia has an incredible wine tourism. I'm talking about wine tourism now, like where you go and you can just hit up and down that oh. state. Uh, the Finger Lakes in New York State are incredible. So wherever you are in the United States, there is something near you, well, and, yeah. and you, and you should be doing it because it's it's such a uh, it's a relaxing thing. You don't. It's you fantastic. don't meet many people that are stressed out. Time passes quite quickly when you're yeah. at it. Well, slowly and quickly, I should say, when you're at a winery. So, man, you. Uh, well, I have a th more thoughts on. Uh, I want to hear it. I have so many things I want to talk me, about. Let me let me hear it. Me um, hear it. other thought. I think I think I brought this up to you on the Adam Carolla show when you brought in champagne or sparkling wine. Sparkling I should say. Wine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the real uh, a prize, the discovery in Italy for us at least, was French Corta. French Corta is a very 
not a lot of people know about it. It's hard to find. Yep. Like you have to go to like Italy and to get like five bottles. <laughs> but uh, French Corda is is Northern Italian sparkling wine. And um, I hate Prosecco. We actually had an incident on the Adam Carolla show. We brought, brought Prosecco and I was like, so I brought. This is gross. I, the funniest part is I brought in. I, I made a mistake. I I brought in a bunch of really good bubbly. And not I personally like the Prosecco. Brian does not like Prosecco. But the Prosecco that I brought in was a very inexpensive wine. Mm, accessible. It accessible. And in it the was, industry. And it was meant, <laughs> I was meant for that reason, right? And, and so I brought it in. And after Brian went from like a, like a $100 bottle of bubbly <laughs> to that. And I remember you said, I think you accidentally poured Bud Light in my, in my yeah, glass. That's, that's <laughs> not, like I may have actually told you it was gross. But yeah. French Accord has a lovely treat. If you can find it, it, it it's, if you go to like a more authentic Italian restaurant, you may, it may find it like by the glass or something, but it is a, it is a treat. I quite like French Accord. And so you, uh, you've done Italy. Have you done, have you done France? No, never been to France. Oh, I would man. love to. I really, I, I, I've only actually ever been to Italy. Um, I have a personal question, well, not personal, but a, a personal interest question to ask you because a bunch of friends of ours uh, and I, are, us, are getting together to go to um, Temecula. And, sure. uh, Teme- about- so Temecula, so you know, is about two hours, an hour and a half east of Los Angeles, I guess, right? I think it's south. Isn't it, isn't it closer south, to yeah. San Diego? It's kind of between, it's east It's east of LA and then, be, and then probably halfway down to San Diego. Okay, that right? sounds yeah. about, well, I don't think I've ever actually been to Temecula, but uh, I do know they have some wine down there. Are you uh, a fan of any Temecula wines? I haven't been in a long time. I mean, back in the day, they were kind of known for this almond this almond, almond champagne, champagne that they had, this almond brutal. bubbly. And that's really, and I did go there before, but it's been a long time. But I, I know that Temecula has uh, come a long way Okay, since then. I think they're make, they're, they're, they've got some decent producers. And that's happening all over the place because, you know, the climate's changing. Things are happening. People are able to sort of adapt to what's going on. Right. And uh, I, I think Temecula is... You're going to be able to find some decent wines there, but I couldn't recommend them to you. I don't okay. know. I've, I haven't been there in a while. If I'm going to go, look. If I'm going to, if I want to try to do a quick wine trip here, mm. you know, we're we're so close to Santa Barbara yeah. that you can get up there. You can, you know, and and by the way, they make good wine in Malibu. Um, I know they make wine in Malibu. <laughs> There's some pretty good wines okay, in Malibu. I've, yeah, I've only ever been to. I won't. I won't. Listen. Making wine is hard. Yeah. I won't shame anybody. I've been to the big winery in Malibu and uh, did not enjoy it. <laughs> you didn't like it? No. It, it's a cool area, though. Like, it's an yeah, awesome It's place. a beautiful place. I want to bring my old wine and enjoy the and grounds. bring it up there. Yeah, no, it's... it's And what's crazy about that place, and I, I won't I won't uh, name them either, but it's back... It wasn't that long ago that you could go there on a Saturday afternoon and there would be 15 people there. And it was oh, stunning, it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Now, because wine has come up so much... Wine is such a, you know, it's blown up, right? Uh, Now you can't even go, you have to go to a lot, get on a shuttle and go in and there's hundreds of people there. And it's, it kind of saddens me because I got, I was there when it was cool. And then, you know, and I've said this before, well, the internet ruins everything. The internet has fucking ruined because back in the day before the internet, if you were resourceful and you, you kind of traveled and you, you were a little bit uh, savvy in terms of where... You, you used to get word from people. Like yeah. I remember back day, like people go like, "Oh, dude." Yeah. I remember because I, I lived in uh, Colorado, back, you know, twenty some years ago, and people, were like, hey, man, I lived in a ski town. A lot of the guys in the ski town, I go, "Oh yeah, we're going down to Costa Rica in the off season." Oh wow. Like where's that? You know, like what's that all about? Oh yeah, then here. Do you now, like spider monkeys? Now you just go cool place to, like vacation, yeah. and it pops Everyone up knows. on the thing, and everybody goes, and they fuck it up. You know what we used to do, Christy and I used to do when we were dating, which we haven't done in a long time, we should do again. We would take a bottle of wine, be a nice one, like a cake bread Cabernet, and go up to the uh, big, huge lawn at uh, Pepperdine, which is just oh, down yeah. the road in Malibu, and that and have picnic, and that was so much fun. Just watch the ocean. That's, a, that is a, that's three football fields worth of lawn. It's huge. Wine, wine just has that. Wine can do all. I mean, I've got friends this weekend that are doing a hike, like a sunset mm. hike, and down here in in, uh, in like I guess near Topanga or something, but uh, was it the West Ridge Trail? Is that you know that that sounds familiar? Yeah, maybe it starts in Brentwood. But they're doing this hike, and they're just bringing a bunch of wine and some snacks, and they're just going to hike and nice. just watch the sunset. And it's not you don't really do that with like, hey, let's bring some whiskey. We right. always you tell me if you do this too. We always bring a bottle of wine to dinner. If, if it's like a, a nicer dinner, you know what I mean? Like, oh like, yeah. Not a casual dinner, but like if we're going out for any kind of, any kind of 
decent dinner will always bring the bottle. Of wine. And of course, if you're going to a, a party at somebody's house, oh, you got to bring a bottle of wine too. There's a lot of people who don't do that shit. They don't do it. They you show up funny? empty-handed. I hope none of my friends are listening to this. If you're listening to this, I'm not talking about you. Um, <laughs> for our Christmas party every year, we have a Christmas party with lots of wine and everything, and um, people bring wine, and it's it's mostly mediocre. Wow. <laughs> it's mostly mediocre wine. Oh wait, let me they say bring right it as now. a gift, and it's like. I'd rather you... Let me say right now, I'm sorry I couldn't make your party this year, but I I wasn't invited. I appreciate you saying that, yeah. Damn you. I appreciate you saying that. I'd rather just have a $15 gift card to Pepco, honestly. That's what I think of that. Um, Well, listen, this has been fun, but we're getting close to happy hour now, so I've got to stop doing this show about wine. Are we done? And then go, oh yeah, man, this isn't the Adam Carolla show. Brian's like, what? We just getting started here. This is my, what we're drinking, what we're drinking, we try to get it, we, we, this is already one of the longer what we're drinking. Yeah, we're up to like almost an hour. We should do a part two. We should do a part two. Dude, I will have you back any time. I live down the street. I want to, I want (laughs) to ask, where do, uh, where do the peeps find you? On the social media, I am uh, at Bald Brian on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me there both at Bald Brian with a Y. Uh, and uh, come see pictures of Tessa and thoughts on uh, gambling. Of course, you can find me at the Imbiber on Twitter and Instagram. And you can you can go also check out the uh, the archives of the Adam Corolla show because I, I do a, I'm doing a bunch there. I'm going to be back on soon doing some Irish whiskey. I'm going to Ireland. For me, I'm on man, my way. So I'll be educated. We're going to be doing that. And uh, Brian, I appreciate you coming on. I want to thank the folks from Cake Bread for sending me this bottle that we're going to polish off. Did they really? Of course they sent it to me. Yeah, man. Yeah. I don't buy that Good shit, though. Uh, but yes, thank you. I like this little loop I got. Can, nice. I, can I, like I just this. do it? How about this one? Gonna... Then I start mixing in. <laughs> right? <laughs> DJ Dan Dunn, DJ Double D. Oh, you want me DJ? I have DJ. Watch. Tell me what you think. You got Good. thunder. Atmos- atmospheric. And then wait. And drum beat. Is it too much? I mean, you're, you're on your way. This feels like the lobby of a W hotel. I would bet that. Ready? Here we go. Not that. Alright, what about this? Wait, hold on. I'm waiting. Just waiting for the right moment to come in. <laughs> I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Let's go. The match the match of the beat. Wait on. Hold on. Now we're riding our bike, riding our bike, riding our bike, and going to the sad trombone. This is not bad. It's pretty good, right? This should be the episode. Uh, oh, it is. I'm, this is in the episode. And here we go. Oh, I'm feeling a little gassy. I'm feeling a little gassy. Feeling a little gassy, and I'm gonna crash my car. That's good. And that's the end. DJ Dan Dunn out. <laughs>